When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, beloved, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. Thank you for tuning in. We have a great show for you tonight. It's one of our end-of-the-week shows, and you know how amazing those shows are. We cover everything, and there's a lot going on in the world. We're going to do a bunch of headlines tonight. I got some best things that I've seen all week. A couple of them might make you cry, so get your tissues ready. I'm just saying, we're emotional around here. And then, of course, we're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean. You guys always send me great questions And it's always a great opportunity to be able to give some good advice to people who really deserve it. Yes, 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 yes. So, how about we get started? Play the bumper, John. (laughs) I'm used to saying Hiley, but Hiley's not here. Shout out to Hiley in the cold. Who else is missing? Missing And Matthew and and sci-fi. I call him Steve-O. Shout out to all of you guys. Hope you get, get well soon. All right. So let's get to the show because there's a lot going on in the world today. Uh, The Supreme Court has reversed Roe versus Wade today and holding that uh, a woman's right to choose is no longer a federal and constitutional right and a woman does not have a right to an abortion. Now this comes after all of the justices who decided to overturn 50 years of precedent all testified before the United States Senate saying that they would respect the precedent of Roe versus Wade. It's so ironic to me how these justices, Gorchik and, 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 and ugh, all of them, <laughs> and the one I like the least, Clarence Thomas, um, how they all sat before the Senate and said that they would respect the precedent. And then the first chance that they get to reverse Roe versus Wade, that's exactly what they do. And now women today are not as safe with respect to deciding what happens with their own bodies. Just to be clear, I am a Christian. I am saved and sometimes sanctified. (laughs) I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. You hear me? I believe in the laying on of hands, all that. But I also believe that a woman should have the right to decide what to do with her body. It is her decision. Her decision and the decision of the people in her life with whom she chooses to make that decision with. The government should not be involved in that decision. And I know there are a lot of Christians out there talking about how how abortion is immoral and abortion is unethical and abortion is sinful. I happen to think racism is a bigger sin and a bigger problem. I happen to think that poverty is a bigger sin and a bigger problem. I happen to think that hatred and bigotry in this country, much bigger problems. And so while the, the, the religious right tried to convince us to care nothing about homosexuality and abortion, 
And those were the only two issues that made you moral and Christian. Some of us have grown up and realized and know that that's, nothing could be further from the truth. But there are other moral issues, and they're equally important. And today, I think what's important is that women organize and women come together, along with the men who care about them, to make sure that they take their, their, this right back. Because if you think this is going to stop with abortion, you have no idea what's really going on in America. Clarence Thomas has already signaled that he's coming after a whole panoply of rights. Gay marriage is, listen, they're coming after that. Affirmative action, they're coming after that. The only thing that they might not come after is interracial marriage. Because you know Clarence Thomas is in one. So you know. He probably won't go after that. But he's crazy enough to maybe try that. Because in as much as the justices today, the Supreme Court today, said that the woman, there's no constitutional right to an abortion, there's nothing in the Constitution that gives, that gives anybody the right to an interracial marriage. So the same logic by which you took the rights away from women to decide what to do with their bodies, you can take interracial marriage away. You can take affirmative action away, and you can take uh, gay marriage away. I know a lot of people don't like to talk about politics. It's not a, you know, politics, 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 politics. I don't like politics. I don't like politics. Sometimes when the guys are here in the studio with me and I talk about politics, they totally zone out. But you all might want to zone back in. You all might want to get your behinds off of that little TikTok and zone back in because the government and the court are making decisions that are affecting your sisters and your girlfriends and, and, and your wives and your mamas and you. Yeah. I know you think politics doesn't matter, but you learned today that it does matter. Because what are you going to do, my brother, my sister, if you get pregnant or you get somebody pregnant and you live in a state where you can't have an abortion and either one of you wants children? What are you going to do? That's what happened today. So voting matters. And for everybody who didn't want to vote in the midterm elections coming up, now you got something to vote for. Now you got to make sure that your state flips back to being a state where women have the right to decide what to do with their bodies. And here's the last thing I'm going to say about this. It is so insulting that a court full of men would presume to tell a woman what she has to do with her body. Whew. I'm not a woman and I don't want to be one. I enjoy being a man. I like this. But it doesn't mean that I don't have empathy for what the Blessed Sisters have to go through. It is insulting that men would tell women what they have to do with their bodies and presume to be right about it. I'm sure I'll be saying more about this soon. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about hypocrisy because, you know, hypocrisy is everywhere. It just happens to pool quite continuously in the Republican Party, and this is a story that relates to that. So don't you just hate when people are downright hypocrites, when they say one thing and do another and they act as if, you know, they believe something only to discover that they didn't really believe it at all. Well, I got a case for you that, exhibit, that exhibits that with no uncertain terms. So in Arizona, there's a popular drag queen. Um, and, and he is blasting Carrie Lake. If you don't know who Carrie Lake is, Carrie Lake, that's the drag king. That's Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake is the front runner in the Republican race, primary, primary race to be governor for the state of Arizona. So that woman right there is the front runner in the primary in the Republican Party to be the governor of the state of Arizona. And she, I'm calling her out 
calling her out tonight to, for being a hypocrite because a popular drag queen in Arizona named Rick Stevens is telling the world that Carrie Lake not only supported him as a drag queen, that Carrie Lake invited him to, to perform at her birthday party, and that Carrie Lake um, has visited, has had him visit her home. But now that Carrie Lake is running for governor, Carrie Lake is all of a sudden against drag queens. That's the hypocrisy. And there's a program out where drag queens are, re are reading, you know, stories to children in public places. And now Miss Carrie Lake is totally against it. She's against drag queens reading stories to children. But prior to her running for governor, she had a drag, uh, Rick Stevens, she had Rick Stevens, a drag queen, perform at her birthday party in her house and she would go to his shows in clubs so explain to me how you okay with rick you okay with going to the show he can do your birthday party he can come over your house y'all can be friends but now that you're running for governor you got a problem with drag see that hypocrisy is what kills people you follow me why can't you just have courage why can't you just have courage to say you know what i ain't got a problem with drag queens i know the rest of the republican party hates Damn near everybody that ain't straight, white, cis. <laughs> but, you know, I don't have a problem with drag. No, 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 no. Because you're running for governor now, now you got a problem with it. This, this, this kills me, man. It kills me how Carrie was totally fine just a, few, just a few months ago. But, you know, my mama used to say this. My mama used to say, <clears throat> excuse me, she used to say, you can't cast out the devil you slept with last night. And what she meant by that was, how are you against something you just got through doing? Now, this is why people don't take politicians seriously. And this is why we shouldn't take them seriously. This is why people don't like politicians. And this is why we know that politicians will lie to, and steal. And they, will, and they will say anything to get what they want, which is a vote and an election. But we see you, Miss Carrie Lake. We see you for who you are. We see you to be a flaming hypocrite. Did you get how I did that? Flaming hypocrite? Flaming. Anyway, let's move on. Did you get that two, three? That was good. All right. Let's talk. Let's, this is a very serious story that I saw that I thought we had to talk about. And um, let me give you this. Um, recently, more than 100 people in Chicago gathered uh, in order to uh, march and to bring attention to the fact that um, that there are thousands of black women in Chicago who are missing. I mean, thousands of black women in Chicago who are missing. Uh, I used to live in Chicago for for quite a while. I, did, I went to I went to graduate school in Chicago. I did my graduate work at the university, my doctoral work at the University of Chicago. So I know Chicago. I know Chicago pretty well. I lived there a long time. Um, but a report came out that said that in 2001, check this out, that more than 8,400 people were reported missing by the Chicago Police Department. That's 8,400 people. That's a lot of people, just to be clear. That's 8,400 people went missing in Chicago, just in Chicago. And 70% of that 8,400 were black people, and 3,000 of them were black women. All of that to say, all of that to make clear that there's a lot of black women missing in Chicago. And somebody needs to raise the question, what in the world is going on in Chicago where you would have 
8,400 people missing, 70% of that number being black, and 3,000 of the total number being black women. There are 3,000 black women missing in Chicago. What is going on in Chicago? We talk about shootings going on in Chicago and murders in Chicago, but somebody needs to talk about missing black women in Chicago. And we need to talk about this right away because something is going on. And it seems like we don't care enough about this. You mean to tell me that in one year, over 8,000 people went missing? And in one year, 70% of those people were black? And in one year, 3,000 of that 8,000 were black women? And we talking about Drake's album, which isn't that good, by the way. I'm just saying. And that's what we're talking about? We're talking about Beyonce's new song, You Will Not Break My Soul. I mean, I like music. I like Beyonce. I love Beyonce, okay? Don't be, don't be going there. But I ain't the most important thing in the world. There are 8,000 people went missing in a year. 3,000 of them were black women. 70% of them of the total number were black. We, we need to be talking about this. We need to be talking about this. And, and, so, and so I started this part of the, I started this story by saying this. Recently, 100 people, just over 100 people gathered to march to bring attention to this, to this story. And I come back to that point to make this additional point. It should have been a hell of a lot more than 100 people. It should have been a hell of a lot more than 100 people marching about this, don't you think? Don't you think that a lot more than 100 people should have been marching to bring attention to the 3,000 black women and the 8,000 people writ large who are missing in the city? It should have been a whole lot more people marching. Huh? What is it? What is it about us that we are so thoroughly distracted with craziness and foolishness and insidiousness that when the important things come along, we treat them like they are the offer? Like, the, you know, like we can just, eh, it doesn't matter. 3,000 black women, eh. This is a big deal. Where are our daughters? Where are our wives? Where are our mothers? Where are our sisters? Where are our nieces and cousins and friends? I want to know where are our black women? Who's taking them? What's being done to them? We need to find them. We cared about the women who were stolen in Nigeria. Remember that? Bring back our girls. What about the women who were being stolen in Chicago? Bring back our girls, our women, our daughters. Listen, if you don't think this constitutes a serious problem, it's because you're not a serious person, which means I'm probably not talking to you. But for those of us who understand what seriousness is really all about and we're serious about being serious, we understand that something is wrong. I'm inviting all of you who live in Chicago and watch the show or have any connection to Chicago in any way to contact the authorities and ask questions. 3,000 black women are missing. And we ain't even talking about it. All right. We got a lot of show to cover, right? I got some more headlines for you. I'm going to talk about SpaceX when I come back, okay? Because you guys know I love Elon Musk. Got a little story about him when I come back. You're going to love this story. Yes. I know you love your Tesla. We're going to see how much you love it after this. We'll be right back. <laughs> right after this. Welcome back, everybody. You guys remember a few days ago, maybe a few weeks ago, I told you how most of the crashes that happened with autopilot happened with Teslas. 
Can you remember how you wept when I said that? And you cried and I gave you a tissue and I told you to stop all that crying? Okay, that last part didn't happen, but I did tell you that 70% of the crashes that happen with respect to autopilot and cars happen with Tesla. Well, I got some more good, interesting Tesla news for you. Because I just love bringing you this stuff. And I know how much you watch the show so that I can bring you stuff like this so it can, you know, add to the content and the contours of your night. Are you ready for this one? Sit down. Sit yourself down as I read this to you. So, (laughs) apparently, Elon Musk doesn't mind if you have free speech on Twitter, but he has a very serious problem if you have free speech in his company. Well, you can say whatever you want on Twitter because, you know, he's the biggest free free speech advocate that there is, Mr. Elon Musk right there. But apparently, if you work for him and you criticize him, you get fired. That's what happened at SpaceX. All right? SpaceX. They're both owned by Elon Musk. Tesla's owned by Musk. SpaceX owned by Musk. Same thing. (laughs) For the purposes of my story tonight, same thing. Because employees at SpaceX wrote a letter to the company and criticized Elon Musk and how he behaves on social media, and they were fired. Did you hear what I said? So Mr. Free Speech on Twitter fired people who criticized him that worked for SpaceX, one of the companies that he owns. And my question is, what happened to the commitment for free speech? So we can have free speech on the Internet, but we can't have free speech in the company? Huh? Is that how it works with Elon Musk companies? You want their labor. You just don't want their opinions. You want, the, you want them to work for you, but they, they can't have a voice or a mind. But then you want other people to have a voice on Twitter because Twitter should be a place for free speech and we need more free speech. Free speech, free speech, free speech. So I said free speech, except if you work at SpaceX and criticize the boss. You know what we call that? We just went over this a few minutes ago. Hypocrisy, people. How's how's it going to be free free speech on Twitter, but, but you can't speak freely when it comes to work? Come on now. Come on, my friend. I'm not the biggest Elon Musk fan because I think some of the stuff he says on social media is is creepy and crazy and strange. But he has a right to be all of that. What I just don't like is how are you so ready to bring Donald Trump back to Twitter so that he can say whatever he wants, but the people that work for you can't say whatever they want about you. It's funny how people love, people love rules and standards as long as they don't apply to them. You love free speech when it was about other people, sir, but now you don't like it when people are talking about you. Which tells me you don't love free speech. You don't really love it. You just love it if it doesn't apply to you. How are you going to fire people by saying stuff that you don't want to hear? People love to lord Elon Musk as being a great CEO. Well, part of being a great leader, I know this for sure, part of being a great leader is that you have to listen to things you don't like. And hearing things you don't agree with happens to be an important part of creating more of the things that you do agree with. You can't just block out the criticism. That ain't how it works. You follow what I'm saying? Huh? You don't get to block out the criticism. (laughs) You You gotta let some of the criticism in just to keep yourself honest. So here we are, 
Elon Musk is firing people at SpaceX for writing letters and saying things about them. But you can go on Twitter and say whatever you want. He can go on Twitter and say whatever you want. He doesn't see the hypocrisy of that. Hmm. I know you love you guys love Elon Musk because he's got a lot of money. You think because he has a lot of money, he's a great guy. But I watch what people do, not what they buy. Let's move on. <laughs> this is a great story that I found, uh, I think, over the weekend. It's a great story. Let's talk about the city of Houston. So I love this story because it's amazing because I think homelessness is a very serious problem in this country. And until we find out what to do about it and how to handle it, we'll never be the country that we should be. And I live in Los Angeles, California, and homelessness is a big deal in this country. I mean, I mean, this city. Country, too. But this city. You can't go anywhere in Los Angeles without running into a homeless encampment. It's just, it proliferates. Which is why I wanted to bring you this. Somehow, over the last decade, the city of Houston, Texas, has found a way to provide homes for 25,000 people. 25,000 formerly homeless people are now in homes because of a program run by the city of Houston, Texas. And I think that's amazing. All right? I don't know. We should have put this in the best things that I've seen all week. But this is an amazing story. All right. So, the good news about this program, this, 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 this is why I wanted to bring this to you is that the overwhelming majority of formerly homeless people in Houston end up remaining in housing for two years, and the city of Houston has cut the homeless rate by 63%. And what Houston has done that makes the program particularly interesting is that they have created a coalition between county agencies, local service providers, corporations, charitable, nonprofits, all bound together in a new initiative that moves vulnerable people straight into homes from the streets. And here's the important part. You listen to this part? They don't require that the homeless people get off drugs. They don't require that, they, that they're in a 12-step program. They don't require that they be anything other than homeless. That's the part of the story that I found to be the most interesting. Because in a lot of places, you have to be sober, you got to be in a program, you can't be on drugs for the city to move you into housing. In Houston, what the city decided to do, they said, we're going to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing for us is you're homeless. We don't want homelessness, so you go straight from the street into, a, into an apartment or a home. The city of Houston moves people into homes, you ready for this, wait for it, without judging them without making any condemnatory decisions or observations about their lives or their lifestyle. The city of Houston does not judge or condemn the fact that you're on drugs or mental health, none of that. They say you're homeless, we need to get you in a house, and they've cut homelessness by 63%, and most of the people stay in a house for two years because they don't judge the people they're serving. You do know that most of the people in the world want to be understood. They don't want to be judged. Even if they have an obvious problem and a problem that everybody can see and a problem that everybody knows that they have, they still don't want to be judged. They want to be understood. They want to be cared for. And I don't know if the city of Houston intentionally did this or I don't know if they, I don't know if they stumbled into it. I don't know how they did it, but they understood a very basic thing that all human beings need to get. When you're helping somebody, keep the main thing the main thing. 
and try not to descend down into all their periphery issues. Because if you get lost in the rabbit hole of all the things that are wrong with them, you'll end up never helping them at all. You see, when you care about somebody and you're trying to do something very central, do the central thing and let everything else that, that, that comes along with that or comes after that, come after that. I'm trying to help somebody today. Most people just want to be cared for. They don't want people running around in their lives judging them. And when people know that you don't judge them, when you care for them, you just want to help them, they're more likely to, to succeed because they feel supported. Shout out to the city of Houston. Shout out to all the formerly homeless people in that city. 25,000 of them who are now living in their own homes because somebody just wanted to help and didn't want to judge. Hmm? I could do a whole thing on judging right now, but I'm not. I'm going to resist the urge. Let me do one more before I take my break. So this one is for all the youngins running around here and all the youngins watching this show. Let's talk about this. I, I thought this story was absolutely crazy. Did you hear about the Back to the Future VHS tape that recently sold for $75,000? Did you hear about this? Now, I have a friend. I have a friend of mine who told me recently that there's a big market for VHS tapes, but I thought she was being delusional, <laughs> as is often the case with her. I, I, I was like, ain't no big market for But she was right. I'm the delusional one. Somebody bought a VHS tape for Back to the Future for $75,000. Okay? $75,000. Who in the world is paying $75,000 for a videotape? Who's doing this? Who are these people? <clears throat> I'm not one of these people. Here's my question, by the way. Oh, and, and apparently the tape that was owned by Tom Wilson, who played one of the characters in the movie. So, you know, shout out for Tom. Good. Tom did well, and the person who bought the tape did well, so everybody's happy. But here's my question. Get rid of Tom. Here's my, here's my question. My question is this. First of all, let me ask this question. Why do we call the tapes VHS tapes and the things you play them in VCRs? Can somebody explain this to me? That's what we play the VCH tapes in, right? What, what were we thinking in the 1980s and 90s? that we call the tape one thing and the thing you play the tape in something else. What was, what, what was with all the V's, first of all? And why couldn't we just call them something similar? But anyway, who has a VCR? <laughs> like, who still has a VCR? What do you do with a VHS tape in 2022? What do you do with it? You just sit it on the thing and just, it's, it's a collector's item? Is that what it's for? You don't watch it? So you just sit it on the on the counter. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm tell, I'm not paying $75,000 for no videotape. I promise you that. You hear what I say unto you? <laughs> I said unto you. I'm never I'm I, if I had $75 billion, I wouldn't pay $75,000 for no videotape. You people have lost your minds. Y'all need prayer. Lift your hands and just ask for forgiveness if you did this. <laughs> But here's the part of the story I wanted to give to you. Let me stop being goofy. It, it is a melancholy truth that at one stage of your life, people not, may not support you or see your value or think you're special or important. 
But it doesn't mean that 20, 30 years later, people may look at what you did and look at what you had and look at what you provided and realize that you were the best thing cooking. You see, a, a VHS tape when I was growing up was a VHS tape that nobody was paying no $75,000 for. When I was growing up, we had a bunch of those tapes. You know, Blockbuster. Nobody's paying that kind of money for that when I was growing up. But look at what happened now that I'm grown up. I said growed up. People are willing to pay a lot of money for something back when I was a kid. People were not willing to pay a lot. Of, and the lesson is this. You never underestimate the value and the power of what you have because the people around you don't see the value yet. Yeah. A, a, a kid 20 years from now can wake up and, and find out what you did and who you were and what you were about and realize that you are the most extraordinary person that they have ever heard of. And you can, and you can be right now ignored by people who can't see your value. The way I can't see a value of a VHS tape of Back to the Future. I can't see the value of that at all. But somebody's willing to pay $75,000 to have it. So the hell with what I can't see. What if you applied that to your life? Yeah. Just because they can't see it don't mean that you don't have it. Woo! Let's take a break. Hot grease tonight, baby. When I come back, we got some more headlines and best things that I've seen all week. Welcome back, everybody. So, 2-3 and I agree that Back to the Future is not a particularly good movie and certainly not one to be paying $75,000 for the VHS tape for. He agrees with me. How many of you agree with me? Now, The Color Purple, I might be willing to pay a little money for because I love that movie. That's my favorite movie. The Color Purple. I know that dates me, but I don't care. I might be willing to pay some money for The Color Purple. Okay? Just saying. Don't hate me because I got great taste in cinema. <laughs> All right, let's do some, let's do, John, get on your toes. Play the headline bumper. Go. John, that was impressive. I did not expect you to be able to do that like that. You, that was impressive, sir. All right, let's do, let's do a couple more headlines before I do best things. All right, so 1962, five days before Theodore Sands was supposed to graduate from San Gabriel High School, he happened to be suspended for goofing off or goofing around, whatever one you want to say. And um, ultimately, he failed a final exam in history. So he couldn't, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't, couldn't go to school. So eventually, Mr. Theodore Sam subsequently took the test again. He passed it, but by the time he passed the test and took the test, he had already missed his opportunity to walk across the stage. I don't know why we're showing that right now, John. Take that off. <laughs> you're killing my lead man you're killing my lead act like you didn't see that so Mr. Theodore Sams passed the test but couldn't walk across the stage because graduation had already happened so he never had an opportunity to have a graduation this is in 1960 and then when he went to pick up his diploma stay with me stay with me he found out that he owed uh, $4.80 for a textbook. And he was a little stubborn, and he didn't want to play the $4.86, so they, so they was like, you know, made the doorknob hit you where the good Lord split you. See you, sir. So he ended up not graduating and walking across the stage, and then he ended up not getting his diploma because he owed for a textbook. And Theodore 
never graduated, never officially graduated from high school. Because if you don't get if you don't get the diploma and you don't, you know, get to walk across the stage, did you really graduate? And remember, the only reason he didn't get, didn't get his diploma was because he owed $4.80 that he stubbornly would not pay at the time in 1960. And years went on, and Theodore thought about this a lot, and he came up to his 60-year anniversary. And he realized, I need to do something about this. So he ultimately told his daughter and told his granddaughter and his sister, daughter and his sister, rather, and they decided to help him do something about it. They called the school. They called the San Gabriel School. His daughter, Sherry, called the school and explained the situation to a clerk who picked up the phone. And the clerk, having compassion, said, you know what? I'm going to go into the records, into the safe, and see if I can find his diploma. It was a shot in the dark 60 years ago. So the clerk goes into the safe and into the records. And guess whose diploma she finds? Just sitting on the top. Yes, Mr. Theodore Sam. Now, the clerk had to convince the principal to let Mr. Sams get away with not paying that $4.80 for that textbook. But once she did it, now show the photo, John. Mr. Sams was able to graduate from high school. How come I'm the only one excited? Two, three's not even paying attention. Isn't this exciting? This is exciting. Come on, people. I love it when people do things that other people said they would never do. And then they mess around and do it anyway. You know what I'm saying? I'm running out of time. So let me get off this story. But shout out to Theodore Sams. Next time, sir, stop being stubborn and pay the, you know, pay the $4.80. The devil is a lie. All right, let's talk about this one because I can't, I can't. Oh, let's show this video real quick. No, 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 let's not show the video. Let's talk about Warren Buffett, and then I'm going to show the video. Okay, you ready? Let's do Warren Buffett. So I told you about $75,000 for a VHS tape. This one is even crazier. Check this out. An anonymous donor paid $19 million, $19 million for a private lunch with Warren Buffett. Did y'all hear about this story? An anonymous donor paid, the auction was to have lunch with Warren Buffett as a part of a collaboration between eBay and the Glide Foundation of San Francisco combating poverty and hunger and homelessness. I'm all for that, okay? But what I don't understand is this. If you can afford to waste $19 million on Warren Buffett, then do you really need to have lunch with Warren Buffett? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you already got $19 million to throw away or to just, you know, give away, do you really need to have lunch with Warren Buffett? Because you already got $19 million to throw away. How much more money do you need? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got $19 million. You can just... So, I'm just asking questions because that's what I do for a living. I'm excited about eBay and the Glide Foundation and this entire thing. But I don't think that this guy who could throw away $19 million or give away $19 million is the person who should be having lunch with Warren Buffett. I think, I think that somebody who is working class and poor, that's who should have been having lunch with Warren Buffett, not the person who can just give away $19 million. But I just want to say this part. I would not pay $19 million to have lunch with nobody. Not my, even myself. I wouldn't pay $19 million to have lunch with Jesus Christ. And I love Jesus. And I worship Jesus. And I think Jesus is great. But he ain't getting no $19 million. All right? I don't even tithe all the time. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. 
I'm not paying nineteen million dollars to have lunch with no. Uh, what in the world are you people doing? Y'all got that kind of money? Y'all could just give nineteen million dollars away? I, I'm listen. I, listen, I, I if I have if if I pay nineteen million dollars to have lunch with you, Warren Buffett, you better have some really great things to say. I mean, you better be amazing in this lunch. You hear me? I mean, you better razzle and dazzle me with the oracle wisdom of Omaha stuff. I mean, you better give me the secret to life itself. You better tap into the meaning of existence. If I paid $19 million to have lunch with you and you sitting there eating some chicken and not talking, (laughs) oh, it's going to be a problem. There's going to be some cussing at the end of that lunch. But I'm happy that the money went to a good place. I'm happy that everybody had a chance to enjoy. All right, let's watch this video before I take this break. It is a wonderful video of a kindergarten graduation that's going to make you smile. Take a look at this. Grace and Dodd. so much (laughs) I love kids with a lot of personality I love that little boy so much he's so warm I just want to just want to give him a noogie (laughs) shout out to the graduating class of the kindergarten people right there don't you just love it when kids are happy and confident that's what happens when kids are happy they can be confident when they can be confident they can be themselves when they can be themselves they can change the world and if they're not changing the world they can make us smile Warm and fuzzy feelings. When I come back, I got some more best things that I've seen all week. Don't go anywhere, people. I'm just getting started. Hot grease, baby. Welcome back, everybody. So, um, I got some best things that I've seen all week, and I think I'd like to share them with you. Pay the bumper, John. This is a great story. You're going to love this story. And if you don't love this story, it's because you don't have a soul. (laughs) And you need to pray more and fast and ask for forgiveness because this is a great story. Okay, this story is just going to make you rise up in the in the angels with the angels of your better nature. Okay, you ready for this? Check this out. Linda Taylor rented a little white house in Minneapolis for 18 years. That beautiful black sister right there. And then one day, a landlord knocked on her door and gave her some really bad news. And the bad news was that she was getting a termination notice. And the termination notice was because her landlord wanted to sell the house. She was renting the house for 18 years, right? And the landlord said, you know, I'm selling the house and you're going to have to move. Can you imagine what that did to Linda after living in the house for 18 years? She raised her kid in, kids in the house. And she's in her 70s. Put Linda back up there, John. She's in her 70s. That's Linda right there. She looks good, by the way, for being in her 70s. But she's in her 70s. What's Linda going to do? Where's Linda going to live? Can you imagine the stress and the anxiety that comes along with that? Now she's about to be homeless. Linda's about to be homeless, people, because her landlord's selling the house. She has nowhere to go. Homelessness is a very devastating experience. I've been there a couple of times myself. I know. 
that the owner of the house gave her three months to move out. But Linda was determined to find a way to stay. She was, a fine, she was determined, rather, to find a way not to be homeless. And so she started talking about the situation to her neighbors. Because that's what you should do. When you're in trouble and you need help, you need to talk to people. When you're in trouble, that's not when you shut your mouth. It's when you're doing well. Is when, see, y'all got it wrong. When you're doing well is when you need to shut your mouth and keep people out of your business. You hear me? It's when you're in trouble that you need to say to somebody, I need help. That's what Linda did. So she went to her neighbor and told her neighbors about the situation. And the story began to spread quickly around the neighborhood. Everybody started talking about Linda living here 18 years. Now she's about to be homeless. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And apparently Linda's a really great person. Apparently Linda, put Linda back up there, John. Apparently Linda's a really great person. A really, 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 really good person. Because her neighbors got together and 400 people signed a petition and gave it to the landlord demanding that the landlord stop this eviction and that the landlord give Linda more time and that the landlord allow Linda to stay. 400 people, 400 of her neighbors said that she was so indelible, so important to the neighborhood that they didn't want her to leave. 400 people. And then they started having bake sales and cake sales. And ultimately they get, they get, they, they got Linda two more months. She got two more months, but they didn't, they didn't make the landlord decide not to, not to sell the house because apparently the landlord needed the money. And the house was going to cost $250,000. And unless Linda came up with $250,000, she was still going to be on the street. The process may have been delayed, but it was not definitively decided that she would stay. Until an amazing thing happened. These 400 people these 400 neighbors signed a petition to make Linda's landlord stop this. They had bake sales and cake sales and they raised some money and then they did something amazing. They connected with a local congregation called Trinity Lutheran Church. And Trinity Lutheran Church, check this out, that church right there, which is my new favorite church, by the way, Trinity Lutheran Church gave Linda, are you sitting down, $200,000. I know. When I read the number, I looked at it again. Like, is this right? <laughs> like, is this number right? You know, sure you don't mean two thousand. They gave Linda two hundred thousand dollars. First of all, I don't know many churches that have two hundred thousand dollars just laying around. And the churches that I do know that have two hundred thousand dollars laying around, they don't want to give money to nobody. They too busy giving it to you know who. You know who I'm talking about. Reverend. <laughs> it's going to the building fund. But Trinity Lutheran Church, my new favorite church, tipped the scales and got Linda $200,000. And guess what happened? As of May the 31st of this year, Linda closed on the home that she'd been living in for 18 years. And she is a homeowner. Yes, look at Linda. Linda owns a house. You get a house. And you get a house. Two, three, you get a house. You get a house. I can't wait to do that on one of my shows. Just give homes away. Come on, Lord, receive that. But anyway, Linda gets a house. Linda got a house. She's a house owner because neighbors came together and God dug it. A church gave her $200,000. And I love this church. And I love these people. And I'm happy for Linda. Miss Linda. I should not be calling her Linda. 
She's a black woman, 70 years old. My mother would slap me in the mouth for this. Forgive me, Miss Linda, but God bless you. Enjoy your new home. All right, let me do one more thing before I take this break. This is one of the best things that I've seen all week. Take a look at this dad who finally gets to see his daughter, and the daughter gets to see her dad for the first time after he spent 10 years in prison. This is the first time they get to connect. Watch this. My husband was in prison for 10 years and surprised our daughter by picking her up from school. love that if you don't love that you don't have a soul you're satan's nephew <laughs> i mean it's just beautiful isn't that great i just love to see people enjoying you know love and family and all of that however your family is configured i don't care i just love that doesn't that make you feel good like that little girl her world is complete again and that man his life is complete again brought back together with his daughter she again with her father and now the future is the only thing standing in the way. Isn't it great? I'm just saying, people, this is what I do here. My job is to make people feel amazing. Don't you feel amazing right now? Don't you feel like going in the kitchen and hugging your daddy or hugging somebody in the house? While we take this break, you find somebody to hug, even if there's somebody to hug is you, okay? Because we hugging people today. Two, three, come over here. Toxic masculinity. Move <laughs> right back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm still glowing from the last video. Reconciliations are amazing, you know? People coming together, finding each other. That's how the world should be. We, we, we needed that video today, don't you think? With all the craziness going on in the world, the Supreme Court being just maniacal and lying, and we needed to see some people loving each other today. So, all right. Let's move on. Let's do some Ask Dr. Sean people. Play the bubble. You guys always send me great videos, and I'm always appreciative of the videos that you send. Let's take a look at this one right now. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Tisha. I'm from Wyoming. Um, I was trying to get some advice of how could I find my purpose in life? Wow, great question. People ask this me this question probably more than any other question. And I happen to believe that your purpose will find you. I happen to believe that, that you, you have to keep working on the parts of you that you know need fixing until the thing that you're supposed to do taps you on the shoulder. So it's not, it's, it's not, it's not as if either I find my purpose and I'm working in my purpose or I have not found my purpose so I'm not doing anything. It's either I'm finding my purpose and I'm working in my purpose or I'm working on myself until I find my purpose. But in either case, I'm doing something. You see... What you're supposed to do, will, will, it will find you. It will show up in your life. It will manifest. And when it speaks to you, you have to know how to be quiet enough to listen and to hear it. But if your mind is constantly running with all kinds of craziness and drama, and you got all kinds of things going on and people in, people in, people in, dramatic, you'll never be able to hear it. 
because your destiny is talking to you every single day. It speaks to you, but it doesn't yell. It whispers. And our job is to learn how to be quiet enough, how to be calm enough, how to be functional enough, healthy enough, decent enough, respectable enough, honorable enough, committed enough, wise enough to hear it. So you don't need to chase after and figure out. It's going to come to you. It's going to, it's going to reach, speak to you. What you need to do is fix all the things about you that you know remain consequently broken. Make sure that you've reconciled yourself to your past, to how you feel about yourself, your body image, your family, your identity, your blackness, your whatever. Whatever. The last 10 mistakes you've made, relationships, make sure you're doing that work so that when it appears, when it shows up, when it says, now, do this, you won't have to get ready because you'll be ready. I got one more for you. Uh, someone DM me this question. I'm engaged to a wonderful woman. I have a daughter from previous relationship that ended badly. I have joint custody over my daughter, and she spends a lot of time with my fiance and me. My ex keeps up drama, and I am afraid to introduce her to my fiance. Hmm. What is the best way to introduce them? Over the phone or in person? Okay. Bring that down a little bit, because you want to introduce. I'm not sure if I got that right. Oh, it's her. Okay. I, I, I wasn't sure if you were introducing the ex to the fiance, but it's the daughter. Okay. All right. Um, I've answered this question before, and I think the same rule applies. I think before you introduce anybody to anybody, you have a conversation with both of them about who they're about to meet. You see, you prepare people for what they're about to experience. You just don't throw people into the gauntlet, and then you get upset when it doesn't go well. It, it, it ain't going to go well unless you prepare, plan right? Soften the ground as it were. Give people an opportunity to adjust emotionally to the experience you're about to submit them to. Now, I think the best way to introduce people is always in person. Always in person. If you, if you want to start with like FaceTime, don't do the phone. If you want to start with FaceTime, then do that. And then put them in the same room after you've prepared them to be in the room you're putting them in. Okay? Respect both of them enough and love both of them enough to give them an opportunity to have independent conversations with you about their apprehensions, their fears, their joys, their excitement about meeting this person. And here's how you do it, because you didn't ask me this part, but this is the part you should ask me. What you need to say to them in these subsequent independent conversations is you need to tell each of them how much they mean to you and how much the other means to you in the presence of the other. You get that? So you're telling him how much... The daughter means, and you're telling the daughter how much he means, and you're telling both of them how much you value and love the two of them. That's important. Because this can't just be an introduction between two people who are just meeting each other for the first time. It has to be an introduction between two people who are meeting each other because they're connected to someone that they both love mutually and together. And when you love someone mutually and together, you, you tend to interact with other people that they love differently. So that's your job. It's their job to meet each other and to try to act right and to be positive, but it's your job to prepare them for the meeting and to let them know in all securely that they are loved and that they are valued and they're meeting other people who are valued and loved just like them. I love these end of the week shows, okay? Thank you for tuning in tonight. I'll see you next week. Y'all be good to each other, right? Y'all have a great rest of your time. 
Love each other. Hug each other, people. Hug each other. That's what we do. I love you. Nothing you can do about it.